Hello, and welcome to the latest in the Walkley Foundation's ongoing podcast series, which brings you the best journalistic talent from Australia and around the world. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm Jackie Park. I'm the CEO of the Walkley Foundation, and it's a pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. We've had a great morning of discussions, and we're going to continue that this afternoon. Our first um, panel up the, this afternoon is Your Brand Online, and um, our panel will discuss the art of making social media work for you. Um, and we've got a couple of our greatest thinkers and writers, I think, on this subject with Michelle and, and John. And I'm going to hand over uh, straight away to Natalie Bohensky to moderate yes. the session. Thanks. Hello. Um, hello, everyone. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Has everyone had lunch? No. Okay, so, no, I haven't either. Um, so, if you hear our stomachs rumbling, that's why, but uh, I imagine people are after lunch and they're feeling a bit sleepy, so we can wake you up with exciting talk of Twitter. Um, I'm Natalie, I am uh, a journalist with the Brisbane Times and uh, have done a bit of freelance work uh, in my Times, but not as much as these two uh, wonderful writers sitting next to me, who I will introduce and then they can tell you a little bit about themselves. Um, we have Michelle Law and John Birmingham. Please give them a round of applause. <laughs> Michelle, ladies first. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I am a freelance writer based here in Brisbane. So the writing I do is quite a mixed bag. Um, so the journalistic work that I do, I've written for places like Sydney Morning Herald, Daily Life, Frankie Magazine, things like that. Um, I also do some literary work. Um, uh, have written a comedy book, uh, I've done screenwriting, so I've written short films and docos for the ABC, uh, and at the moment I am writing my first play for La Boite Theatre here in Brisbane, so a very mixed bag. That's excellent. What's your play about, sorry, personal interest? It is called Single Asian Female, and it's um, about a family of two Chinese-Australian sisters and their mother who um, is potentially going to be deported from Australia. Fantastic. So a great comedy, yeah. Is that for next year? Uh, it's um, being pitched for hopefully 2017. Fantastic. Oh, I look yeah. forward to that. And uh, Mr. Birmingham? Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm well. Um, yeah, well, I started freelancing in 1985. So someone who can do math can do the math on that. It's uh, 30 years, John. All I have... It's, it's just shocking, isn't it? I know. Um, and I've been a freelancer and remain a freelancer. Uh, I, uh, I worked on staff once in Was my this life. the infamous... Current Affair. Current Affair yeah, episode. My, my, my uh, shameful two-month stint at Current Affair. It's, we, uh, we can talk about that later <laughs> on. Um, I, I did freelancing because I didn't want to get a, um, a cadetship. I specifically didn't want to get a cadetship at the Courier-Mail. Um, and so I started working uh, the Fringe Press, student magazines, street magazines, that sort of thing. My first year as a freelancer, I made $135. Um, That's pretty good. Second year, <laughs> I made about $230. Uh, and I, I, I cracked it for four figures uh, in my fifth year of freelancing. But you know, I sort of figured it was an attrition game, so I kept at it. Um, it was interesting, when I started out in 85, you could have gathered all of the uh, 
freelancers in Brisbane around a pub at the RE, and we frequently did. Uh, there was maybe four or five of us in the whole city, and it um, always amazes me when I come to these gigs now to, you know, see a hundred people turn up, and there's probably... Now, these are lazy freelancers. They're just hanging out here. The actual working <laughs> ones are out there right now. <laughs> Hundreds of them everywhere. Put me out of business. <laughs> yes, we can thank the uh, we can thank the internet for the great democratisation of uh, of writing. Um, so this is about social media branding, and I've written a few talking points, but we will be opening up the floor very soon to questions. So if you do have something you want to ask either John or Michelle, um, feel free to throw your hand up and Edwina can bring a um, microphone around. But we'll have a bit of a chat first. Now, is this mainly a talk on Twitter or is uh, other social media networks up for grabs? Yeah, let's let's broaden well. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe start with a personal position on social media as a, as a thing. <laughs> overall good, overall bad, pros, cons. Ladies first. Uh, pro professionally or personally? Oh, now that's well. Because I think as a writer, there's sort of this strange intersection where, you know, you see these disclaimers on people's Twitters saying, these are my views are my own, not of my employers. But, you know, when you're a freelancer, you are your own employer. <laughs> um, so, you know, you are your own social media brand, I suppose. Uh, but I'm definitely pro-social media. I think it's a really great tool for getting news out there and actually meeting people um, making that first initial point of contact with someone, um, you know, so if you see them at an event like this, you know, you say, you know, actually, we've tweeted at each other before, you know, um, we're interested in these similar things and it's nice to meet you in person, that type of thing is really handy with Twitter. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm a big fan of Facebook and I think it's a great tool, especially for a freelancer, um, you know, as a way to share articles or, you know, your own personal politics, things like that. John, you famously quit Facebook a couple of years ago. I did. How's that experiment been going? It's been awesome, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I found Facebook got really stalky in a way that, uh, that Twitter didn't. Um, I'm not sure what it was about Facebook that was different. I, I think possibly the ability to, to, to message people um, directly. So who was doing the stalking? Uh, you or the or other people? <laughs> un unpublished poets, mostly. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, you don't want them coming after you. <laughs> uh, They're the most dangerous. I just, I, I just didn't find it that useful as a tool. Like, I, social media to me is, um, it is a tool uh, that I use a lot for work. It's also a trap for young players. Uh, you have to be um, uh, quite disciplined in the way that you go about it. I, and, and, in fact, you know, if you... If you're a freelancer, you've got to be quite disciplined in the way you go about everything. Otherwise, you're not going to be a freelancer anymore. You're going to go find some other low-paying form of work. Uh, it's all that stuff about, uh, you know, particularly with the ABC people, you know, this is my personal account, you know, views don't reflect the ABC. That's all bullshit. Like, you know, if you work for an organisation and you put something or something on Twitter or Facebook or Tumblr or anywhere that's going to embarrass the organisation... You can go on, forget it. As we found out with um, SBS chap. Yeah. Mm, whose name has currently left my mind, but yeah. uh, tweeted about Anzac politics. Day. Yeah, no, yeah. He, just, he, he possibly had a few beers oh. on. And uh, he, one of the things about journalists, you know, you've you got to play with a straight face every day. You, you report stuff, you keep, and most of us do, well, most, most journalists, not so much me, do manage to keep their their feelings out of their, their reportage. And he had obviously, like a lot of people, been 
storing up a lot of ill feeling about the uh, the commodification and, and, and the, the sort of the mythicised approach to Anzac Day. He just let it rip. Mm -hmm. And um, what he said was actually not uh, not that controversial, not that radical, um, but, you know, it's because of the um, the politics surrounding public broadcasting, it became a shit fight within a couple yeah. of minutes and um, uh, he lost his job, which was, I thought, a, a disgrace and a, a shame. Mm. Um, but look... <sighs> It's really complex and and, and, and kind of uh, kind of contrary social media. It can be a great, great tool. And I'll give you a really good tip for doing research. Write this one down. Uh, something is happening in the world, it's going off on social media. You're gonna get to a point where you wanna, you know, search the the social graph to to get people um, uh, possibly to interview to do your research. If you just type in um, so, you know, freelance focus uh, as a hashtag and maybe our name or something like that, you're going to get thousands and thousands of tweets. If you want to actually locate people who are eyewitnesses to events, when you do your, your, your tweet search, use the personal pronoun. You put I and me in there, because one of the things that happens when people are uh, tweeting about events that they are actually at, they'll say, you know, I'm doing this, this guy mm. sat next to me, this thing is happening to me, this, you know, and it's... Did you link that on your blog recently? I might have, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I was reading that exact same thing recently and I've actually started implementing it, yeah. trying to implement it at work. I haven't really turned up great results yet, but I'm, it, it's definitely showing yeah. up more stuff that you wouldn't find otherwise. There are two really useful, um, there, there are two great use cases for, for social media for journalists. One is just pushing traffic to whatever it is you've put out. We all live and die by traffic nowadays. And the other one, of course, is, is doing the research. And that tip I told you just then, it's a very, very useful yeah. tip for locating people who are like buried within a story. Mm. Uh, and the other one, of course, is that um, people uh, who are in the news are often on Twitter nowadays, and it is an avenue of approach that that you can use. You can also throw, I, I actually use it a bit when I just run out of ideas for a column. So I'll just throw it out there, you know, what can I write about? And you'll get 50 or 60 responses straight away and two or three of them will be useful. Mm. Michelle, any useful tips on, what was my original question? I've forgotten. We, we moved on to something more interesting. Um, in, I just want to say in terms of traffic and Twitter, what our instructions are at Brisbane Times to give you an insight is that Twitter is fantastic for that gathering and confirming stuff it's not so great for driving traffic yeah um, Facebook far outweighs mm. Twitter when it comes to getting people to click through to your stories that's just what the statistics that you know we're told so there's a lot of a push on for you know driving Facebook driving things to Facebook whereas Twitter is not as much a priority which is is strange but I think I wonder if there's something to do with the amount of people that you tend to follow on Twitter like I don't know maybe you guys could talk a little bit about who you follow and how you follow and do you have lists and how do you manage those huge streams of people um, that you follow I think to use Twitter you really have to be on it constantly the people who do it best are the people who are keeping an eye on it in real time I find um, for me, I'm quite lazy on Twitter. For me, it's sort of um, the place I go to. Um, so who I follow is a mixture of, you know, publications, um, reporters, as well as just joke accounts and um, 
just silly things that I find funny. And I would say that's a reflection of what I tweet about as well. So, you know, I will go on there for serious things, um, to share stories and to share my own personal politics, but it is also a place for me to, you know, live tweet what's happening in the toilet cubicle next to me. So I feel like it's very confusing for people who follow me one day <laughs> where it's like, yeah, she's made this really good point about feminism. And then the next day it's like, ha, huh, tweets about a toilet. <laughs> I wonder if that's got anything to do with when you joined Twitter, if that has any aspect to it. Because I, I joined Twitter in 2008, and back then, <laughs> in the old days of Twitter, um, it was kind of like a club. It had a real mm. clubby vibe of um, we're on here and the big bad world doesn't really know about us and we're taking the mickey out of them and commenting on them and, and they don't really know. Mm. Um, and then by 2012, I feel like everyone, I feel that was kind of the start of the Twitter bandwagon really, 2011, 2012. Yeah. And everyone got on it and just it, it, it exploded so much that it lost that kind of secret club vibe a bit. There was, yeah. um, I, 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 it's lost. Uh, the, the, the provenance of the quote is lost, but someone once described Facebook as, you know, the people you went to school with and Twitter as the people you wanted to go to school with. <laughs> and um, mm. it, back in that, those early days, 2008, 2009, it was. You're right, it has now expanded out into uh, a mass service in the way that uh, Facebook is. Although Facebook still, still dwarfs it in terms of its footprint online. And an awful lot... Twitter's got a lot of problems at the moment and uh, one of its problems is that most of its users are just inactive. They, they yeah. hop on and... Mm. Um, they're either just uh, voyeurs, they're just watching what goes past, uh, or they're dead accounts. Like, I've got something like 35, six, 7,000 followers on Twitter. I reckon 10,000 of them will be dead accounts, and mm -hmm. I'd actually like to get rid of them. You know, as, as nice as it is, is having a big follower count, I'd actually just prefer to get rid of the dead accounts. And occasionally you go through uh, periods, I'm going through one at the moment, where you just pick up hundreds and hundreds of followers f for no apparent reason. Like, I'm getting heaps of followers from India, um, and I don't know why. And, like, <laughs> six months ago, I got heaps of followers in Indonesia, and I don't know why. Uh, mm. And that, that sort of stuff, actually, it... it constrains the usefulness of the service to me. Like, if I know why people are, mm. are following, um, I could tailor what I'm putting through that service to, you know, to make it more interesting to them. There's, there's no point following me if you're not interested in, in what I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, it's a funny... It, it, it's a weird service, uh, and it's, it, it, not, it won't necessarily be with us five years from now. You don't think? Um, no, they, they've got... Uh, they, they've got significant corporate issues with inside yeah. Twitter. They haven't got a CEO at the moment. And, like all the previous CEOs have been duds and there's problems on the board and they're... Um, <clears throat> they don't, you know, other than sort of embedding tweets within the timeline, they don't have much of a revenue model. Uh, they don't seem to understand how to structure themselves to become a viable business other than the very simple... Uh, one of just embedding a lot of Optus ads at the top of mm. you know, the web page when you, you open it. And it's, it, that's not necessarily where their strength is. Like the, um, the, the, the strength of Twitter, and to, to drag it back to, to media coverage and journalism, the strength of Twitter is immediacy. Uh, it's, it's, it, just, it delivers you the world in like, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of, of, of little thought bites when stuff is happening. And that's something that 
Facebook doesn't necessarily do and you know, Tumblr doesn't do. And, yeah. uh, that, that immediacy is its strength, but they, don't, they, ha they, ha they haven't played to its strength yet. I think I think that's it's because it's so indefinable now, and people use Twitter for many different reasons. You know, you might be using it as a reporter for that immediacy and just keeping in loop with whatever you know the current affairs. But then there are people who are just using it, you know, just straight for popular culture or comedy or looking at parody accounts or um, just following celebrities. Um, so that could you know be something that contributes to its downfall, or you know continues to, you know, grow it as this monster of a thing. I'm interested in the concept of, um, just to reflect a bit on my own personal experience with Twitter and Facebook this year, I was thinking just coming into this panel about how I've really, I feel like I've let my Twitter game is down at the moment. Um, and it's strange because when, as I said, when we started Twitter, it was very much like commenting on, hey, this is what's happening. Um, and, and now I feel that there's so much noise I find it hard, I, I almost feel like I'm turning off the noise of Twitter, that uh, there's so much uh, mob rule and, and anger and the Twitter outrage, which of course is sort of gaining more and more notoriety and John Ronson's book, Have You Been Publicly Shamed, is, um, mm. I haven't read it yet, but um, I've read lots of articles about it and interviews with him and it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it seems that Facebook, what Facebook seems to be a bit better at is nurturing a bit of a community. What happened this year was um, I write uh, recaps for Brisbane Times on Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm a bit of a sad tragic. And because they, they sort of ended up everywhere on the web, so I wanted somewhere to collate them. So I started a Facebook page just to sort of publish recaps and other things that might be of interest to that audience. And I now have over a 1,000 likes on that page. And everyone on there is just really groovy because that... That sort of they've all come from this community and this shared love of Game of Thrones. So are they they reading those those recaps on Facebook or well, is I that reflected the in the metrics for for Brizzy Times? To... Uh, no, it would be because it would be a link through from Facebook. So I, I don't post the actual recaps. I just post the links to the recaps. Because what, what Facebook wants to do, and it could well sh reshape the entire global media industry over the next five years yes. is capture that content entirely within Facebook. So at the moment, yes. if someone hits on your uh, Thrones recap, presumably they end up back at Brisbane Times, or is that copy served up within Facebook but still credited to, to no, Brisbane No, no, it's still a link. Okay, so, so it's a link back to Brisbane Times. What Facebook wants to do is just get publishers such as Fairfax and, you know, News and New York, all publishers basically, to just give them the content and they publish Directly. it within Facebook and no one ever leaves Facebook. So ever. you, yeah, exactly. I did a, I did a panel actually with, um, in Sydney as part of the Spectrum Festival earlier this year with Wendy Harmer and it was just about a week after the hoopla closed yeah. mm. and she was saying that they had had a chat with a representative from Facebook talking about these plans and essentially the idea would be that you would not even have brisbanetimes.com.au. Yeah, that's All right. of our content would be delivered through our Facebook page. Yeah, all your content are belong to us now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is the way that Facebook is moving and I think building that community element is part of it because it allows them to target advertising better mm. and allows them to really set themselves up as opposed to, as you were saying, John, Twitter can't seem to do. Facebook has been able to advertise better. Yeah, I, I went looking for <coughs> cat litter trays on Google. Um, I have some... <laughs> No, I, I collect. Uh, no, I've, I have... I foster kittens. Um, and <laughs> I was looking for a new litter tray. Anyway, now all of my Facebook ads are cat litter trays. Yeah. 
but at least they're not, you know, getting married soon, having babies now, because they know my age, and clearly that's what Facebook thinks I should be doing. So at least I've got, you know, crazy cat lady stuff now. Um, but is there, um, maybe we can reflect on that, like how social media is, uh, are you comfortable with your content being used to sell, or the fact that Twitter is using... Well, look, our content's always you know, been used to sell. Like, well, one true. of the mistakes that journalists uh, have always made is to think that um, their business is journalism. It's not. The business yeah, no. has always been advertising. Yeah. Um, and that journalism uh, in the days of effective monopolies, which existed before the internet, um, the journalism was just wrapped around the, uh, the advertising. I, I think that, you know, proposed developments, what's happening at Facebook, would be an absolute disaster for journalism. Mm. I, I think any... Any publisher that agrees to that Facebook model is basically signing its death warrant for five or six years down the, the track. So, uh, in terms of more social media, I was trying to... What else have I written down here as... Hmm. Oh, um, just on the aspect that I mentioned before about abuse and negativity via social media. Maybe we could comment on that. Like, when writing a story... Uh, do you then engage with people who respond to your story on social media or do you feel you need to retract from it? Um, do you, does the story kind of continue in the social media space? Do you, and, and you were talking about, Michelle, using, your, um, using social media to express your personal politics. At what point does that blur? Does that, you know, how do you keep them separate? I mean, I have a, I have a blue tick on Twitter but that's only because I work for Fairfax and some deal was made where they gave all... Uh, Fairfax journalists blue ticks mm. so if I left that blue tick would leave with me and I would stop being official um, but my account is very much like yours it's a, a collation of oh, here's some work I've done here's yeah. a you know I outside of work I do various theatrical enterprises and I plug those mm -hmm. so it's kind of all over so how do you um, deal with that was a bit of a tangent but how do you deal with any engaging with people on the positives and the negatives uh, in terms of, I, I tend to only engage with people unless I, when I know, if they're being negative, if I know that it's going to have some sort of constructive outcome. If it's just them speaking at me and it's not necessarily in relation to anything I've said in the article or the piece, it's just them wanting to vent at someone. If you just have a really, you know, cursory look at their Twitter profile or their social media and, you, and they look like the type of person who is clinically insane... <laughs> and not going to respond to logic, then there's no point in responding to people. It's just really making more work for you and just more stress for you. So generally, I make it a rule not to read, when I publish um, articles online, um, not to read any of the comment threads. Generally, the, the publications have their own moderators who take care of that. So I sort of just step back and I don't really feel like it's my place to engage. You know, I put it out in the world, you take it as it is and you interpret it as you like, but I'm not going to engage with those types of people. Um, generally, there, sometimes there are people who just won't let up. I had one guy who just kept tweeting at me, just, not, just nonsense about why femi feminism was stupid and how by co consequently I was stupid and an idiot. And this was just in response to tweets about stupid joke tweets. He'd obviously just gone through and just, you know, this is the type of person this person is. And eventually, you know, I just blocked him. Um, otherwise, another response I like to use is just gifts of telling people to F <laughs> off. Um, because you can't really respond to that. 
I feel like the 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 the, the gif is the true hero of the internet age. Yeah, it's somehow able to sum up everything you want to say mm. in a few seconds of repeating imagery. <laughs> and you can't do that in any other form. You can't put gifs in a book or in a, you know, it just it's a pure internet um, signifier. Yeah. Anyway, John, your um, thoughts. Increasingly, uh, online news media are getting rid of comments. Uh, they just, they're, they're not seeing, like the comments are there basically to, to drag eyeballs back to the page and increase your clicks. They, they have no other purpose. We, mm. we talk about, uh, you know, we're encouraging a conversation. You know, no, we're not. It's, <laughs> no one likes reading those comments. No one likes having to go through them, checking them for, you know, abuse and, and defamation. And you know, to be frank, most of them aren't worth fucking publishing you. You know, just particularly on um, contentious issues where people's, you know, dander is, is up. Mm. Uh, the, the comments really are not worth reading for the most part. And I say that as someone who spent many years building up a, a crew of regular commenters at my Brisbane Times blog who are, you know, for the most part, a, a, a delight to read. Um, but it, mm. it's been 10 years that I've been doing that blog and it's, it's, it's wearied most people. Mm. Um, the, just the, the constant sort of tsunami of derp that flows yeah. in on, on any kind of contentious issue that you write about. They ruin um, it for everyone, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. As to you know, Michelle's issue about, you know, once you get outside the site and you, you, you're on, um, you know, Facebook as I used to be or, you know, Twitter as I still am, uh, and you just, you, you get unbridled uh, aggression coming at you, as you will if you write anything worth reading. Um, people can take offence at, you know, the most amazing stuff. I used to fight back because um, I just figured if they were getting into, uh, you know, a fight with words, um, like a rhetorical battle, they were hopelessly overmatched. And it was, you know, it was great fun, but in the end, what's the point? Nowadays, when someone is just obviously uh, irrational and, and angry, I just, I taunt them and I make them angry, then I block them. And, you know... You just picture them sitting in the basement just yeah, apoplectic raging. with rage. Yeah, yeah, but most of the time as well, they're just making those comments without having even read the article. Yeah, they just want to speak at someone. You know, it could be like a 10-year-old child. Were these people... This is probably not so on track, but were these people around before the days of the internet? Has the internet, like, fundamentally changed our DNA and how we express no, ourselves? No, they, they, they were around. They just they weren't connected. Yeah. Um, oh, they'd call up the radio and just... Yeah, you know. no, that's right. I used to work... <laughs> when I... <laughs> had my period at, at uh, Current Affair. Um, one of the jobs you have to do there is when you, um, when the story's gone to air, the, the phone calls start and the producers take the phone calls. And um, it's always Maddie's. It's the people who now are like leaving comments and, and harassing people on Twitter. They used to ring mm. the station and, uh, and have a go at us. And I, I used to... Uh, the other producers used to, you know, try and be reasonable. I, I had a game where I would try and get them to be as unreasonable as possible. So if you were doing something about, um, you know, corporal punishment in schools or, or school kids acting up or something, then they'd always get to, oh, you know, in my day, uh, you know, they would have got the strap and, uh, you know, the, the country is falling apart because they don't have the strap. And I go, you know, I go, yeah, you're right. Uh, 
Yeah, but strap's not really enough, is it? Like, <laughs> and, uh, well, you mean a cane? I reckon you should have a cane. Oh, yeah, yeah, a cane's a good idea. And, uh, and you just escalate it to the point where, you know, we'd be executing children <laughs> in the quadrangle. And the game for me was to see if I could get them to go, oh, steady on, mate, that's a bit much. <laughs> yeah. It's that steady on, mate, that's a bit much reaction I think we've lost on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, there does seem to be a um, uh, ability for social media to get people's, as you said, their dander up really quickly. And mm. maybe it is that immediacy of Twitter, but you you can tweet before you think, can't you? I've certainly been guilty I of think it. That's have, have you guys been guilty of that? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I've become a bit more careful now and just I tend to sit on things for a bit. Yeah. If I show it to someone else and be like, is this a tweet? <laughs> is this a tweet? And then I, yeah, once it's checked off, off it goes. I think, I don't know whether that's something that, because I used to use social media to vent as well. Mm. I used to really enjoy being able to, and sometimes I'll still do, I'll be like, I, you know, have to go to my brother's wedding and I can't fit into the dress I was going to wear. Or, you know, I'll have those kind of usual whingy um, tweets, but it's certainly far less than it was. Uh, how much of your personality and, you know, your moods should you put into social media? Like, if you are trying to build a brand as... Uh, these people are these people. Sorry, uh, fellow, fellow Walkley attendees. Uh, these, sorry, that sounded horrible. Uh, how, how much of yourself, like, and, and that's almost a, as much a question for me as for everyone else. But uh, I mean, because the whole point of social media is to be a personality, and yet being a journalist, as John said, you are supposed to remove yeah. your emotions and your opinions out of it sometimes. I really hate the term online branding. Can I just... <laughs> yeah, please say it. I think it's just a strange buzzword. And, you know, people always talk about how to build your brand, but it's really just you are the brand. It's you. Mm. You don't need to build a brand. You know, people are following you because of your own views and, you know, how you come across on these social media platforms. They're interested in you as a person. Um, so I think what these people are trying to say is, you know, how do you get more of yourself out there? Um, so for me... It is a mixture of um, quite serious personal politics, uh, articles that I like, as well as stupid jokes. And I think that's because it's a reflection of who I am as a person. <laughs> so that's probably that's me on social media. Um, definitely more so on Twitter. Facebook is more friends and personal, obviously, so it's a bit more of... Um, plugging of events, which I find quite cringeworthy, but I think um, one of my writer friends was saying a way to counteract that cringe is, you know, for every plug you do for yourself, you do one for someone else. That's a good way of thinking yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, like you, I tend to be a bit uh, sceptical of branding. Um, you're pulling it sort of back into the, the, uh, the topic. It's, you know, what, what possible use is it? You know, why, do you, why are you uh, a freelancer? You know, presumably because you wanted to tell stories in, in one form or another. And, you know, uh, wrapped up in that desire to tell stories is, you know, presumably a desire for people to hear them. And, and one of the things that social media does is gives you a channel that you can control to tell your stories or to tell people about your stories and stand up to them as to whether or not they they follow them up. And it's, it's not just Twitter, it's not just Facebook, it's things like uh, newsletters. Uh, there's a, a young freelancer, Andrew McMillan, who does a lot of really, really good mm. uh, work for lots of different magazines. He has his own uh, newsletter. Uh, I don't know how many subscribers it has, not that many, I think maybe three or four hundred, 
but they are interested in the stories that Andrew writes. And so once a month he puts this newsletter out and, you know, if you weren't reading Frankie that month or you didn't mm. see him on medium.com, that newsletter lets you know that Andrew McMillan, a journalist you follow and whose work you like, has written on this topic, bang, here's the link, and, and they can go to it. And that, you know, some marketing wanker could call that building his brand, but uh, I just tend to think of it in terms of he's a storyteller and that is just a way of, you know, letting people know that he, he has stories to tell. And you, you strip social media of, of, of all the, the, the rubbish and bullshit and, and hot wind that, that surrounds it. And what it becomes is, uh, is a tool, a channel for, for you to, to tell stories through, to reach people through. At, uh, and you know, from that point of view, it's, it's hugely useful. And we tend to get, we, we get lost in the, the, the Twitter storms and the, the troll wars and, and, and the abuse and the, the, the cat videos and the, the gifs. And, but um, you know, from the, the point of view of everyone here today, it is, it is it, it's a useful channel. Like if you have a story to tell, um, you might only have 35 followers on Twitter, but one of those followers might have 35,000 followers. And if they, you know, if they retweet you, you know, not all of those 35,000 people are gonna see that tweet. Uh, because of the, you know, the way people's lives works and because of the way they, they hop on and off. If I put a tweet out, for instance, it's not gonna be read by 35,000 people, it's going to be seen instantly by maybe three or 400 uh, at best, at, at, at the various peak times. There are three peak times uh, between 8 and 9, uh, 12 and 1, and I think 7 and 8 mm. in the evening. And at those times, if, you, if I put something out, given how many people are, uh, are following me, I can expect it to be seen on the screen, on their phone or on their desktop, by uh, a couple of hundred of them. If they then retweet it, then it can go out and go out and go out. Uh, so you don't necessarily need 50, 60, 70,000 followers to reach those people. You just need to be followed by the right people. How do you do that? <sighs> Probably by engaging with them. Um, you know, journalists are, as a set of storytellers, and they really like the idea that their, their stories are being listened to. And if you have uh, journalists whose work that you really, really like, then, you know, follow them, read their stories, comment on them. You don't necessarily expect a comment back straight away. It's not unusual for me when a, a column or a feature comes out to get two or three hundred like at replies on Twitter or you know back in the days when I was on Facebook to have uh, you know a hundred, two hundred people commenting there. I, I'm, I, I read everything, but I don't have time mm. to respond to everything because I just don't have time. Mm. Um, but I, what, what does happen is if a name pops up again and again and again, and their comments are interesting. Eventually, when you know one of the ten thousand falls and uh, a uh, an opening comes up in my my follow list, I will add that person and I'll start to follow them. And mm. if they have something that I think is worth sharing, uh, Upuli, do you follow Upuli on um, uh, on Twitter? She's a scientist. Maybe. Yeah, I, I just assume everyone follows who I follow. Um, but <laughs> she's a scientist and she's pretty cool, but, she, you know, in my mind she was always just a scientist. She wrote this piece the other day about um, uh, uh, colour and light, actually. It was about uh, light. It was six or 700 words. It was beautiful. 
the most beautiful pieces of writing uh, I'd seen for ages, and I just hit retweet with, you know, this is a beautiful piece of writing. And uh, that thing just got retweeted, 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 retweeted through the day. It had something, you know, like you know, 30, 40, 50 retweets by the end of the day, heaps of shares, and lots of people commenting on it. So uh, that's, that is the beauty of uh, specifically a service like Twitter, but, but any of the... Um, any of the social media services, uh, journalists are storytellers, and storytellers fucking love stories, and they will uh, they will share them if you have a story worth sharing. Um, so, how did the ten thousand concept come about? I'm going to open it up to questions now, but just as people get their questions ready, when did the ten thousand ha- as a concept? When I started on Twitter, I just had this rule that uh, if you followed me, I'd follow you back because it seemed like good manners, um, and that was when you know I had less than five hundred followers, uh, but as it got more and more um, out of hand, uh, I, I just I just found that my timeline just became like a poker machine, it was just like turning over and over and over, and I just, I, even using lists, I wasn't able to mm. get any value out of it, because things just moved too quickly. And as I said, like a lot of the, the accounts were dead, um, and a lot of them were politicians, <sighs> And so I, I just, I took a day out to, uh, I used a, a service like followmeback.com or something, um, which told me who was following me and who, because you know, people follow you and then they realize you're a dick and they don't want to follow you anymore, so they unfollow you. Fair enough, you know, but I'd like to cut them from my list as well. <laughs> uh, show you. Um, <laughs> and so I, I spent a day just getting rid of thousands of dead accounts, thousands of unfollows, and I, I cut my list back from, I think, 17,000 people mm. to 10,000, and I was exhausted. I'm just like, you know what? 10,000, that's, that's good. It's actually way too many. Um, my, my timeline still turns over too quickly. But I divide them up into lists. So I have, you know, lists of journalists and, um, you know, science and humour writers and that stuff like that. Um, and at 10,000, I stopped and I, I strangely, I probably waste a bit of time every day just making sure it stays at 10,000. So <laughs> if it goes up to 10,001 for some reason, say someone I guess has closed their account, Helen Razor for instance, and then she, you know, she rage quits Twitter every second day. And that, <laughs> that will drop my, my follow numbers to 9999. And I can't have that. So I go and follow someone else and then fucking Helen comes back on. And I go up to 10,001, at which point I've got to go into my list find someone. <laughs> so there's your 10,000. It's a, a lovely policy. Does anyone have any... Uh, does, do people have questions they'd like to ask? Edwina has a microphone, I believe. Hi. Hi, thanks. Um, just bringing it back to something a bit sort of like a practical consideration day-to-day. As freelancers, your online presence is kind of also your portfolio. Do you actually have to really consider the more like personal things you share because then, oh, if I try and pitch to that really fancy magazine in a fortnight's time and then they go and look at my online presence, it's not going to be something they want to align themselves with? How do you balance being like being individual and being yourself with anything you do online being part of your portfolio? Are you talking about Twitter specifically? Just generally? Um, I, I think because of the nature of the work I do, which is quite personal already, I write a lot of memoir, it doesn't really bother me too much, but I know in terms of being a, a journalist, um, I tend to not give it much thought because they should be looking at my body of writing to attest to my skills as a, as a writer. Um, so for me, it's just, I'm actually quite free with it, yeah. 
the implication of your, your question is that you should be concerned, and yes, you should. Um, uh, my kids are, I think, uh, 13 and 15 years old. They're not on social media. I won't let them on. Uh, they won't be allowed to get on social media until they're 18, uh, at which point they can make that choice themselves. But they'll do it having been informed about, you know, both the, the upsides and the pitfalls of, of using social. Um, specifically uh, addressing your question, yeah, uh, uh, my Carlton Rage quit the Herald uh, sometime last year and they asked me in a bit of a panic, or, you know, can you fill his column for a bit? And um, I said, yeah, of course I can. Within 24 hours, Tim Blair at uh, Daily Telegraph had gone through my old um, timeline and just grabbed a bunch of tweets that he thought made me uh, look really bad. Um, one of which was something like uh, getting criticised by Tim Blair as like copping a blowjob from a toothless crack whore. <laughs> um, it's fair. It, it, was, it was a defensible tweet. Um, <laughs> but there was a bunch of these things in my timeline because, uh, you know, that's what I'm like. Uh, mm. I can get away with it because, you know, I guess that's my brand. Uh, but you would need to, you know, if, if you are just going to work as a, a straight operator in the business, then, you know, maybe you want to think about the kind of stuff you share on Instagram, whether or not you, you know, you know allow people to, you know, put up photos of you projectile vomiting into the pool at some schoolies function 10 years ago. Like, all that stuff can, can follow you around. Um, so, yeah, it, it is something that you you need to be aware of. Mm. And I guess it depends on what level of, you know, personal material you're sharing. Yeah, something to think about, I guess. Uh, yeah. um, do you think you actually need a social media presence online to be a successful freelancer now? Can you get away without having one? You should be able to. Um, so, what was the question? Can you get away with not having a, a social oh, media okay. presence? Um, look, you should be able to in a, a perfect world. Your work should really be your calling card. And in a sense, um, the audience for your work is, is not the people who are reading it in newspapers or magazines or online. It's the editors who are commissioning it. Um, but that's kind of an old-fashioned view. And unfortunately, <clears throat> because uh, we are now expected to do a lot of the promotional and marketing work for the, the people who employ us, we are expected to pimp out the stories. Um, they, an editor or a publication, really, is more likely to take on work from someone who appears to come with a, an audience built in. Mm. Like if you're, if, you're, if you're bringing 30 or 40,000 uh, Twitter followers or you know, 5,000 Facebook followers, I think is the max, uh, they will, they'll still look at the story the story is the most important thing, but if you have an audience built in, that's going to be a consideration for them. That's always been the way. It's just, it's... I freelanced for 10 years before I wrote He Died With a Falafel in His Hand, and it was a tough 10 years. It's, you know, being a freelancer's hard work and it's, it's not that well paid. Uh, after that book came out, my pay rates jumped, not because... The stories were any better. Uh, they weren't. They were exactly the same stories I had always written. But it was presumed that I was coming with this audience built in. And so they weren't just paying for the copy, they were paying for the audience as well. And that um, 
that psychology, I guess, uh, has transferred itself across to uh, the modern digitised media market. I've heard stories of actually, um, not journalists obviously, but models not being hired unless they already have sort of 10,000 Instagram followers. Um, like as in, be, if you want to be a model and be taken on by an agency, they look at how many Instagram followers you have because that will help as you go on photo shoots and things mm. like that. So it's a similar kind of thing happening with, uh, with journalists. Any other questions? Um. Yeah, hi. Yeah, um, how cagey or conversely um, freely sharing are you with your ideas, like future ideas for future original story ideas? Like, would you post uh, your interest in that area or share stories that have kind of inspired you if you go, oh, that's an interesting thing, I might use that? No. No, I don't either. <laughs> Someone, someone will take it. If I see an idea that interests me, I will generally share it if it's already out there in the world, but I tend to keep a bank of ideas uh, in you know, just a Microsoft Word document, something that interests me, and I will write down my angle for it and then come back to it later when I'm struggling to think of something. Um, yeah, generally I don't really talk about my work with other people. Not, not because, um, you know, as a general principle, and I'm very private about it, it's because for me it is... Um, it's a private vocation, I suppose. You do it alone. Um, it makes it sound really dirty. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not something I generally talk about except, you know, with the people in my close circle, you know, my close circle of immediate friends and family. You know, it's an idea that's interested me and obviously it's going to be something that I'm talking about in general life. If you have a great idea, the only person you want to be discussing it with is the editor who's going to commission you and pay for that story. There'll be time to talk about it when it comes out. Don't, just do not uh, let it add into the wild before then, ever. Any other questions up the back? It's good to see everyone on social media here too. <laughs> Hi, um, I just have a question as someone starting out in journalism who might be a little bit unsure about what branch they're interested in. So um, I'm a little, you know, interested in politics and travel and a variety of different topics. Um, my question is, when you're creating your online brand and a professional portfolio, is it harmful to show a diversity like that or is it better to be more targeted um, in what you're presenting to the world? I don't know if everyone shares this view, but I think it's better if you have a broader set of interests because it means as you um, build, a, build your career as a freelancer, you can you have that diversity and that adaptability. I think it's uh, an advantage for you to be interested in many different things because that means you're going to be more curious about different parts of the world and want, you'll always have a bank of material to draw from. Yeah, if you're a freelancer, you are a, a generalist. Uh, like, you know, I know guys who uh, you know, write mostly about surfing and you know, they write for half a dozen surfing magazines, but that's it, that's the only people they can write for. Uh, whereas if you have a range of, of interests, then you know, follow that range and uh, you'll build up your portfolio. In the end, the portfolio is still important. If you've got like a dozen published pieces, you know, people that you're pitching to are going to be interested in them, not in your tweets and you know, your Facebook updates and your, your Instagrams. Maybe your Instagrams if you're a photographer. But um, no, just if you have interests, then that's you know, a wide range of interests. That's actually, that's great. Follow yeah. them. 
because it, it just means that you know maybe there's nothing to write about in that area this week or this this month, but this area is going off, so you, you concentrate on on that for a bit. Yeah, and it's actually impressive to editors as well because it shows you have a broad skill set. Yeah, see, most remember most journalists uh, who aren't freelancers actually started out as as uh, general roundsmen, roundswomen, and you know they they have to write everything, and so editors like to see that you can write anything. Um, and just from the other side, I was in radio as a generalist, then a specialist, then came across to online as a specialist, and I'm now going back to being a generalist. So um, I don't think a general knowledge, just to add my two cents, is ever a, a bad thing, being diverse across a bunch of things. Any other questions? Any general comments? Any interesting tweets anyone would yeah. like to share? Oh, gentleman here in the glasses. Any interesting cat videos? I just had a quick question. Um, John, you talked about you view Twitter as a tool, but can you give some examples? Because, you know, in some cases you've asked for your followers to actually contribute to the writing process. So can you maybe elaborate on how you actually use it as a tool? Um, yeah. Uh, sometimes if I'm just too lazy to Google something up, I will just throw the question out to Twitter and uh, people will, will bring the answer back to me. That's something I use uh, in both media work but also in, in book writing. It's a, in some ways it's more useful in book writing. Uh, I, I, an example was um, a book I read a couple of years ago. There was a scene set in, uh, I think it was the Plaza Hotel in New York and I realised as I was writing it that um, I needed to describe a particular part of the hotel but um, Unfortunately, the website was no good because the hotel had been renovated uh, and so it, it, the website didn't show what I wanted it to show. And I, I don't know how I squeezed it down into 140 characters, but I did, a, a request for a bit of help. Within an hour, um, a woman had got back to me. She was a businesswoman. She travelled to the US all the time. She loved the Plaza Hotel. She'd been staying there for 15 or 20 years. And uh, she took a lot of photos, including of the anonymous hallway I needed to describe. Uh, and so she sent me a photo of the hallway. Within 24 hours, uh, another reader in the US had gone down to his local library where he vaguely recalled reading a story in the local paper about the renovation. Um, I think because a local tradesman had worked on it or something. You know, local man lays carpet in Plaza Hotel. Uh, he went and took a, a phone cam shot of that story and sent it through to me. It was, it was really, really useful. And it's, um, that's the thing that I, I love about social media is that you know, people will help out and, and, and are happy to help out. It's a good hive brain. Yeah, it is. Hind brain, hive brain, hive mind. Uh, I think we're probably done. It's three o'clock. Would any, no final questions? In that case, um, would you please join me in thanking our panellists for the social media branding, Michelle Law and John Birmingham. And thanks very much, Natalie. It was a great discussion. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow the Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook for new episode updates to be the first to know about upcoming Walkley events and news.